stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Big dick energy. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 153 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison. And, uh, oh boy, what's a, uh, what, what, a, what an interesting Hungarian Grand Prix slash racing weekend in general that we had on this occasion. Um, who would have known that, uh, your favourite term when getting help in a dating situation would end up being the biggest overall narrative to come out of Hungary? Well... Apart from the other bit of quite sad news we'll get to in a minute. In the meantime, we have, as usual, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yeah. Though, I, I should, we, we all should recognize that there's a superior form of energy out there, and it's big M8 energy. Big M8 energy is the best energy. Don't at me. King, is, is there something you're not telling us? <laughs> what is this big M8 energy you speak of? You, you, you don't know of our Lord and Savior, Big M8? Big M8 nope. is, is a friend. Uh, Big M8 is, is love. Big M8 is life. Uh, that was probably the best thing to come out of the 24 hours of Lamar, by the way, was Big M8. This is and, Ka- and Kaz Nakajima finally winning the big one. Yeah, that was nice. That was nice. <laughs> we'll go with that. Lamar's introduced him here while he's here as well. Um, the the one defending is coming down piece by piece, brick by painful brick. Here's RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello. Um, actually, the the energy that I that I'm here to talk about is uh, well, they're not endorsing this, but I, I believe the uh, the challenge is still on. Uh, to uh, who is gonna drink the can of rich energy? <laughs> <laughs> Dre Apparently me. Yeah, Rich Energy, the company that is involved in the uh, that has been involved in the uh, the saga of a team, we'll talk about as we're reviewing the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, God, and I've heard some wonderful things about the copy for this company. Hmm. Like the advertising uh, copy, it's uh, it's it's wild. It's 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 out there, especially when they're using all those old school Force India logos they don't use anymore. Fun times. Um, but for the record, I did say publicly, if anybody wants to buy me a can of rich energy, I will drink it on the show. Please be sure to ta- please be sure to tag rich energy in your tweets when you're listening to the Motorsport 101 podcast. It, 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 it might be the first time somebody has ever actually bought a can of rich energy. Like, the product may or may not exist. No. Disclaimer. It totally exists. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into this later, but... I just have to mention this off the bat that I went into their ambassadors page. I was surprised by the people on there. Like, apparently, Triple G, the professional boxer, is an ambassador oh for rich energy. Golovkin is a spon- <laughs> yes. is an ambassador for. The- oh my god! Probably the talk, best pound for pound boxer Can- on the we world. Talk, we talk about Canelo being bold. I'd say that's rich. <laughs> Very rich indeed. Like the probably the best pound for pound boxer on the planet. Is endorsing this shit. May the good Lord help us all. 
No, Places you can find. I can't wait for us to be sponsored by Rich Energy and get nothing in return for it. Sweet. I can't wait for that sweet advertising money of nothing. Um, anyway, places you can find us real quick. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Thanks again for everyone that checked out last week's episode of Watch Party. That was fun. Um, hopefully, I'll we'll have just enough time to cram in Brazil 2012 by the time this goes out. Um, also, thanks to everyone that may or may or not have watched me rant about the state of F1 fan bases. Don't take it to heart. It's not personal. It's just we're all a bit shit. Um, nearly 700 of you watched that, so thanks, everybody. Much appreciated. We're now just 20 away from 2,000 subscribers. So if you haven't already, um, sub. Say hi. There's plenty Smash of good stuff that out there. sub button. Yeah, it's, it's all the fun stuff. Ignore all those Jimmy Broadbent streams. Come here instead. It's all good. And then watch a Jimmy stream, because he's, he's good. Um, in the meantime, uh, we're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our personal handles, you can do so at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at Ryan Eric King. Uh, that's with two Ks. And if you really like us, you could back us on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, a quick apology on that one uh, on our end because uh, me both, both me and Lewis were quite busy over the course of the weekend, so we were a little bit late in putting out Bike Life. We didn't have time to cram. We didn't want to put in a Suzuka 8 hours preview after the race had already started, so we didn't really feasibly have time to put it out on early access and then release it publicly. So we just released it publicly straight away on Saturday night, almost as soon as it was finished. So apologies for that, for no early access. It, as, as a compromise and as a way of saying sorry, the next episode, episode 71, the review of the show itself will be available for just a buck. Uh, as a way of me saying sorry. So apologies for that. But episode 71 of Bike Live will be available. That Normally speaking, $5 would get you early access to both this show and Bike Live. As mentioned, episode 70 is out right now. It's called Mustache Mountain. It talks all about Josh Brooks and his double victory at Brands in the British Superbike Championship this past weekend on that gorgeous anniversary R1 livery, which we also saw at Suzuka as well. Speaking of which, there is a full race preview for that as well. The review for it will be on episode 71 out this weekend. Well, I'll be, I don't know exactly when. I'll leave Lewis in charge of that because I won't be here for that because I'll, I'll be in the Czech Republic for the Bruno Grand Prix there. So, uh, yeah, hype. Um, I'm not going to be in this country for this weekend. <laughs> it's going to be pretty sick. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had to get that one out there. Humble brag, humble brag. And don't worry, $10 will also get you access to a Discord server where you can listen to these shows live as you go out. And, uh, you know, you may even be a guest on the show or you can even just basically mingle with all of us. I'm the cool guy with the red name now. It's really cool. <laughs> I'm classed as a host. It's great. Like, I, I need more roles, King. I, I need, like, like, like <laughs> host, overlord... Um, I'll, I'll settle for dictator. Like I'm, I'm willing to. I, I, I need my own cool title of, of some kind. Um, nah, I, nah. We just need to calm down. Just calm down. What? Why can't I have a cool title? Uh, maybe I could arrange something. Hmm. I, I look forward. I, I eagerly look forward to that. But yeah, in the, again, you back us five dollars, ten dollars, whatever on Patreon. Thanks as well to our new Patreon backer, Leston Williams, as well for backing us at two, the two dollar level. Thank you very much for that, sir, indeed. But in the meantime, after this quick musical break, we will get into the Hungarian Grand Prix weekend.
Or, well, before we really get into the Hungarian Grand Prix weekend, sadly the world of Formula 1 and cars in general was hit with the tragic news that uh, in the time since we recorded last week's episode 152, um, Sergio Marchionne did indeed pass away. Um, He was just 66. um, And, yeah, um, a, a, a tragic loss to not just obviously Ferrari, but obviously just just cars you know autos in general king and i don't think a lot of people realized until the news had dropped of his passing i think it was thursday last week when this happened that i think it was actually no it was when i think it was wednesday last week but uh just how much of an impact he had made as ceo of the fiat chrysler group um not to mention formula one as well because we, of course we're an f1 podcast first and foremost but uh sergio's impact goes much further than that yeah where i think a lot of americans probably most know sergio marchioni from the the financial crisis back in 2008 where the great recession pretty much almost killed detroit until a government bailout but after the bailout someone decided to take a gamble on probably the weakest of the big three chrysler where out of nowhere, Fiat CEO Sergio Marchionne decided, yeah, we're going to buy 20% of Chrysler. And he aimed to buy the whole thing. And a lot of people said, no, that would never work. An Italian company owning an Amer- like one of America's largest automakers and merging into one company, they thought he was crazy, he didn't care, did it anyway, <laughs> and turned around to the point where he basically cut a whole lot of middle management jobs and was able to turn both fiat who was struggling and chrysler who was struggling to the point where they were making money again yeah it's uh it, it, it is crazy just how well he was able to turn to turn chrysler around as a group and obviously with fiat as well and obviously that translated down to their formula one team <laughs> as well and um you know, Mauricio Arabeni came in during his tenure, and there is no doubt, no matter which way you slice it, Ferrari has greatly improved as a factory team in the last two or three years as well. Um, where now they are, they have got a legitimate chance of winning both championships this season. A team that, you know, went from going winless in 2014 when the hybrid era began. Um, to have now won, I think, God, I think it's now 13 races in the last three seasons since against a really dominant Mercedes factory that we, you know, we we can't get around this. Mercedes are still really good, but, you know, Ferrari has given a lot of the casual fans hope again, I would argue, since then. And, yeah, I mean, let's look at the constructors right now. There's only 10 points covering the top two, and Ferrari is now pretty much back where they should be, near the top of the mountain at the moment. So... Yeah. yeah, just like to put it in like perspective in numbers terms, uh, pretty much during like the the peak of the recession in two thousand nine, Fiat Chrysler in the U.S. sold less than a million cars a year. Now it's over two million. Today, uh, Fiat Chrysler is profitable and debt free. And funny and funnily enough, back in two thousand eleven, in an interview with uh, Poppy Harlow at CNN. Pretty much, he flat out said that uh, it would have been impossible to uh, see Chrysler surviving without without the assistance of quote smoking smoking illegal material. 
That's wonderful. <laughs> that's that's, that's magnificent. <laughs> Um, yeah, from uh, from a New York Times uh, business obituary uh, penned by Neil Bodet and Elizabeth Pavolito, um, that Fiat, both Fiat Chrysler and Ferrari, Ferrari which was spun off from Fiat during Mark Antony's tenure, both are now worth nearly ten times much as they were when he took over both companies. Fiat in 2004, which he helped turn around, and Chrysler in 2009. That also in turn led to the Fiat brand returning to North America and eventually Alfa Romeo. Um, briefly got briefly got Dodge back into sports car racing, which they later withdrew from. But that's neither here nor there. They got Ferrari back on track, and perhaps most importantly, you know Sergio Marchionne is always going to be revered both in Turin, Italy, and in Auburn Hills, Michigan, for his work in in turning both companies around much better than anyone had ever anticipated. Though, as an executive, one of the things I love most about Sergio, he was extremely honest, even even you know, about his own company. Like, uh, RJ, do you remember the Dodge Caliber? Like, that weird, like, I wagon do, thing? yes. Uh, Sergio himself called that car an abomination. <laughs> it was later replaced by the Dodge Dart, which, was, which is now discontinued, but was still a much more appealing yeah. car. And, like, the... He... Sergio... Sergio wasn't, you know, uh, secretive about the fact that he he liked, like, hybrid cars, electric cars. He even, like, wanted Ferrari to be involved in some way, shape, or form in Formula E. Yeah. But about the the Fiat 500E, the, the electric version of the Fiat 500, like, he liked the car, but he knew how unprofitable it was. He kind of, like... Hinted like, you guys should buy the car because I don't want you to buy it. Every time you buy one, it costs me $14,000. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I, I do remember you mentioned how he wanted Maserati to be in Formula E. Um, maybe, like, maybe, yeah. maybe not Ferrari itself, but, a, you know, obviously a, a, another mark that they had under, under their umbrella. Um, that would have been pretty neat to see. Um, but who knows? Maybe they still will one day. Um, big shoes to fill, to say the least. And uh, again, god damn it, fucking cancer, fuck cancer. Um, it yeah, um, really does. Um, just fuck cancer, man. And you know, sixty six still isn't all that much of an age in the grand scheme of things. And especially when he had so much left to give to the company. Obviously, there is a succession mm-hmm. in place. Um, it will be, uh, it will be, Mister. Uh, it will be. Mike Manley, who used to run the Jeep and Ram brands, uh, taking over at Fiat Chrysler's North America operations. Um, Louis Camilleri is tapped to take over Ferrari, the former tobacco executive. Um, but there is there, it's going to be big shoes to fill um, with the passing of Sergio Marchionne. I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, like, it, there were plans for Sergio to retire April next year. Basically give him enough time to set everything in place, like, basically do all his legacy projects before he had to retire. But unfortunately, it got cut, like, almost a year short. Yeah, it was, like, the way his health so suddenly just downturned like that, I mean, like, clearly Sergio had kept it very close to his chest because, um, like, it turns out the group in, in, in question did not know he was suffering from lung cancer, so clearly he'd kept it very personal or very private. 
Um, they didn't have an idea. They didn't have a clue that he he was suffering. And next thing you know, he goes. It reminds me of uh, the passing of Satoru Iwata at Nintendo, mm. who was who was very ill, passed away very suddenly. He had uh, he had been ill for quite a while, and he was still working just as hard as he possibly could uh, just to continue to support Nintendo's video games and consoles. He was still doing the code for Breath of the Wild when he passed away. Yeah. Um, so, basically, at FCA, what had happened was they didn't know how poor his health was until his family told him that he wouldn't be able to continue working there on July 20th. Then on the 21st, he formally resigned and then four days later, he passed away. He he had to have known the end was coming then, surely, because yeah, jeez, that's 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 awful, um, man. Uh, clearly, his family. I think he's clearly he told his family, yeah. but just didn't tell anybody else, and that's understandable, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, and like I said, a, a tragic loss for the auto world in general, and of course Formula One and you know Ferrari. You know, fittingly raced with a tribute to him. They had, they had a a, a black um, tape across the front across the front nose of the car, as well as all of the mechanics wearing black armbands in tribute to Sergio. Some some very kind sporting words from across the world of Formula One, including Toto Wolff, who said we'd lost a a a competitor and a friend. Um, there was a minute silence held before the race itself, which was again another nice touch. Um, from the FIA in general, and uh, yeah, as, as mentioned, massive, massive shoes to fill. Um, and yeah, I again, on behalf of everyone at M101, again, thoughts go out to this family, his, his friends, and of course the Ferrari team and the Fiat Chrysler group because that's a that's a massive loss for them as a business, as a company. And you know, I'm guessing Ferrari's heads weren't totally in this race this past weekend, and it's pretty understandable as to why. Um, no, yeah, but, like a lot of the people who, you know, ended up taking on the positions that he left knew Sergio for decades, and pretty much they're all devastated. They were like they consider him like their best friends. Yeah, exactly, and uh, yeah, we wish him the best, and. Uh, that's a, that's a real shame. Uh, getting into the nitty gritty of the race weekend itself, um, this was a bit of a topsy turvy weekend. I mean, free practice one and two on the Friday was pretty straightforward, but free practice three was a washout, and the track was still um, pretty wet when Q one started. Um, quickly turned into slicks again um, by the end of Q one. Um, <laughs> It, it caught out a couple of people, um, more specifically Charles Leclerc, who had a bit of a, at this point, it's a surprise Q1 exit, um, as, as well as Sorokin, Perez, both Force India struggled in the wet, they were both knocked out in Q1, as was Leclerc and Stoffel Van Dorn, who just can't catch a goddamn break um, at the moment in that McLaren, Lance Stroll pipping him to the post by a couple of temps, Lance really does come alive when the rain comes down, um, but... Uh, well, I say that, but unfortunately he wasn't so lucky because in Q2, the rain came down again. Hard. And uh, 
Like everyone else came out on the slick tires thinking it was still it was still dry enough. They were all wrong. The only guy who didn't was Sebastian Vettel, who realized, wait, it's a bit too red. It's a bit it's a bit too wet out here at the moment. He went out on, on, on intermediate, set a time which was then untouchable because the track conditions worsened and worsened um, towards the end of Q2. Um, so no one was touching that. It became a shootout between guys on is, is, is on basically on intermediate slash borderline full wet conditions by the end. Um, <laughs> that one, Lance Stroll had a spin. He claimed that like Daniel Ricciardo claimed that ruined his session, which I thought was quite funny, even though he was the hipster that was going out on the soft tire doing laps, which I thought was quite funny, um, saving all the ultrasofts he could. Um, but yeah, Stroll, Marcus Ericsson, Nico Hulkenberg, who had a car hiccups pretty much all qualifying long poor dude um ricardo got knocked out in 12th fernando alonso couldn't quite make it in um despite one last run at the end of the session in 11th and hey both toro rosso's making it into q3 yay Hooray. nice um q3 the rain was still going. It was a full wet qualifying session, as Henry points out in the Discord. It was borderline red flag conditions, if you ask me. Um, yeah, there were puddles. There, there were was puddles. There, there was standing oh my God, water. The front yeah. stretch was almost under. Yeah, there, there, there was there was uh, standing water and. Uh, puddles out there it was close to red flag conditions they did run the session in the end the track it did get drier and faster the rain did slow down towards the end of the session so we got another one of those classic last man over the line sorts of wet qualifying sessions you get and me being the totally not salty sebastian vettel fan in the corner was like wait why is vettel starting his last lap with 70 seconds to go oh god he's gonna qualify in fourth isn't he and I was spot on. And I was like, shit. Uh, happened again. Um, Vettel fourth, Raikkonen third, Valtteri Bottas in second. But the last man over the line, of course, was Lewis Hamilton, who, to be fair, had shown great confidence pretty much all through, like, Q3 was finding time every lap he was going round, slapped a new pair of wets on, and banged out his 77th career pole position. Uh, he's broke out the Valtteri number already. It's getting ridiculous at this point. Um, Fair to say that these conditions in qualifying really put the drivers to the Buddha test. Get out. <laughs> Get out. Oh, it's just starting, folks. Can you close the door behind you? God damn you. Um, My personal Twitter is just a test bed for the jokes you'll hear on the podcast. May the good Lord help us all. But hey, it was fun seeing row three. Row three of Carlos Sainz, who had put out a belter to put himself in fifth place. Just half a second behind Sebastian Vettel's Ferrari. Um, and Pierre Gasly right alongside him in sixth place as well. So... Um, brilliant job in qualifying from Sainz, Gasly, and Brendan Hartley, who had a career-high qualifying finish of 8th place as well, ahead of Kevin Magnussen and Romain Grosjean in the two Hasses. So, Max Verstappen, you know, hey, wet session, you know, Red Bull, track that normally go well around, Verstappen 8th. Verstappen, after the qualifying session, pretty much saying that Red Bull just doesn't work in the wet, which is the weirdest comment I've ever heard regarding a Red Bull. So... Yeah, the, the Rainmeister is on hiatus for a little while, to say the least. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> it dried out for the race on Sunday. Um, it dried out, and it got hot. 
Yeah, 32 degree air temperature, 60 degrees. There was the track temperature and the race started at 10, uh, 10 past 2 on a Sunday afternoon in the UK. And uh, actually a pretty conventional start while, while Hamilton and, and Bottas on the front row got clean getaways, you know, was first and second around the opening corners. Vettel pulled off an audacious round the outside move of Kimi Raikkonen through turn through turn two to get to, to come up to third place. So I like that when that happened, King. I like that a bunch of people tweeted me. So is Dre gonna is Vettel gonna move over for Raikkonen's alternate strategy now? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I see what you all did here. I, I, I see what you all did here because here's the thing: because it was a wet qualifying session, there was a free choice of tires on the grid, and Hamilton and Ve- Hamilton, Vettel, and Raikkonen, and the you know, three of the four main contenders, started on the ultra soft tire. Vettel started on the soft compound tire and tried a reverse strategy of what Hamilton was doing, basically. Um, and hey, he managed to pick off one of his three main rivals for the win right at turn two. Remember that? It becomes important later. Um, but uh, yeah, um, Vettel was up to third. He was basically just waiting for the guys in front of him to, to stop on their ultra soft tyres. And yeah, it, we got a blink quite early on. Uh, it was it was Kimi Raikkonen who was the first to move. I think it was lap 14 he came in um, on his ultra softs with Bottas coming in a lap later to cover him off, basically. That turned it into a, a two-horse dogfight between Hamilton on his ultra-soft tyres and Vettel on the soft tyres. Basically going head-to-head in terms of pace and basically Ferrari almost bullying Mercedes into saying, okay, how dare, how long do you dare run with this man on this ultra-soft? And that was the story of the race from a strategic standpoint. And uh, I like to think it was going all right in the Vettel camp. I was like, okay, his pace is good, you know, he's... He's actually gaining time ahead of Hamilton, who's come in and stopped. And, you know, he was about 13, 14 seconds in front. It was looking good. He was about 22 ahead of ahead of yeah. Valtteri. And, you know, you, you, with, a, with a good stop, he'd be able to come out in front. You have a clear run at Lewis Hamilton and challenge for the win on the faster tyre. It was all going so well until lapped traffic came into play and it's the Hungaro ring so it's always going to be hard for cars to pull over and Carlos Sainz ignored five blue flags to let Sebastian through not even investigated for ignoring blue flags <laughs> Stewards what was the old what was the old rule of thumb you have to it after three you have to pull over yeah three apparently like and, and, and like thing is they talked about like like Paul DeResta pointed it out during the race coverage on Sky and then Anthony Davidson showed the video of it after the race and it was clear that signs had ignored at least three blue flags to move up, move over for Sebastian. That cost him about four seconds. And when you combine that with a crummy Ferrari pit stop, the, the front right wouldn't go on properly. I think it was about a 4.5 second stop. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. Ferrari had trouble getting uh, tires on for both Seb and Yeah, Kimi King. had a chance of coming out ahead of Valtteri because Raikkonen two stopped during this race. He had a chance of coming out ahead of Valtteri and it didn't work. Um, and again, mostly because Raikkonen's stop was almost five seconds long. Um, so they lost two or three seconds in the pits alone. And that was critical because Raikkonen came out behind Valtteri for one. And when it, when, it, when, it, when it was all said and done after Vettel's one and only stop, he, he came in, I believe it was around lap 
48, I think it was, he came in. Um, he, losing another two seconds in the pits, he came out behind Valtteri, and that became the story of the next 15 laps or so. Because yeah, Vettel's stop was on lap th- at the end of lap 39. That stop mm-hmm. was not very quick. Uh, yeah, and then he's stuck behind Botas. Yeah, stuck behind, stuck behind, generally regarded the best defensive driver in the field at the Hungaro ring. I wanted to claw my eyes out. Um, I was like, "This is. I know exactly how this is going to go. It's, it's, it was basically Silverstone 2. Um, Valtteri had to run super long on his tyres to make this work, but he was effectively playing an excellent blocker for Seb while Lewis Hamilton had a clear-as-hell run and amassed, like, a 25-second lead in this time, while Sebastian, on the clearly much faster tyre, was not able to find his way around Valtteri until the last 10 laps of the race. (sighs) It effectively ruined what a a competitive fight for the win we could have had, and uh, I wasn't mad about this at all. Um, I think it was of about six to go in the end when... Valtteri's tyres really were shot to shit um, in the end, and Sebastian was able to switch back on the apex of Turn 1, and basically had got such a better drive out of Turn 1. Valtteri lit up his rear tyres, he was slow coming out of the Turn 1 apex. uh, uh, Sebastian with DRS on the run towards Turn 2, he got a much better drive, he basically had more or less an entire car length in front, Going into turn two, he takes a bit of a narrower line into into turn two, trying to block off Valtteri um, and take the corner. Valtteri wasn't as far back as he would have hoped. Valtteri locked locked the tires going into turn two and clips the back of of Sebastian's car. It's a um, miracle Vettel didn't get a puncture out of that. I was like, oh my god, how did he get away with that one? Um, he was due a bit of good luck, if you ask me, so I will take this one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Seb amazingly came out of it unhurt. Valtteri had damaged the front wing of the car. He was hemorrhaging time. Um, the incident had allowed Raikkonen to come through into third place as well. Um, like That me- that meant that uh, Daniel Ricciardo, who had basically come from 12th to 17th uh, after a a dodgy start. He collided with Marcus Ericsson off the start line. Um, he clawed his way through all the fields, basically via F1 2017 dive bomb into turn one about 14 times, basically, to get himself up into fifth place. He had a clear run on a second pair of Ultrasoft tyres. Um, he had reeled in Valtteri, who was obviously now limping around with bad tyres and no downforce because of the damaged front wing. Um, and this is when the shit really hits the fan, because, uh, oh boy, um, what's the best way of describing this king? Like, Daniel had tried, um, to go around the outside of Valtteri, Valtteri had gotten really defensive, he'd taken the right-hand side of the track, um, Ricardo was was in the much faster car, even in a straight line at this point, which for Red Bull is, in itself is a miracle. He has to go the long way around turn one. And what made this doubly hilarious, if you were watching on Sky, <laughs> was... For ESPN and for the state side Yeah, audience. of course. Yep, indeed. Um, they had had a live pit crew report from Christian Horner on the wall. And I distinctively remember Christian saying, on the home straight towards turn one... And I quote, I hope Valtteri doesn't understeer into him. 
Three guesses what happened next. <laughs> because everyone knew that Valtteri Botas's front wing was damaged. And, yep. Mm, yeah, and uh, just for a little bit of context here, uh, Christian Horner had uh, had already kind of been popping off um, as Mats Verstappen's uh, transmission had let go earlier in the race. Uh, spoilers: Red Bull Red Bull Racing reliability issues. Who would have ever guessed? And uh, and at that point during the race, Croft uh, <laughs> had uh, basically got on the radio with Chris at uh, with Horner, and he was just like. Well, you pay all this good money for what's supposed to be a world-class product, and it breaks down just like that, you know, as a Red Bull and Renault are going through a very public divorce. Extremely. Disgustingly Cyril public. All, Cyril is getting all the plates in this. That's yep. because they didn't. That's because, Christian Horner, you didn't negotiate the prenup very well. So, Christian Horner, who is already a mine of salt, the air is salt, the walls are salt, when you breathe the air, everything tastes like salt, you could taste the salt, mm-hmm. when, uh, when Christian Horner uh, saw his driver get clattered into, uh, <laughs> and then drop an F-bomb on live television. Uh-huh. Like, Valtteri does indeed understeer into the side of that little Ricardo side pod, there's contact, Valtteri somehow still actually stays out in front at this point, and Christian Horner literally says fuck mere seconds after there's contact. It's beautiful. It's probably the funniest moment of 2018 so far in this season, where Horner drops an F-bomb live on the broadcast as one of his drivers gets plowed into by an understeering Valtteri that was really predictable. So much so he even called it. I love F1 sometimes. What a beautiful shit show that was. Oh. I, love it. I love this sport sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, this race was uh, this race was very much a bot standard uh, Hungarian Grand Prix, but by the end, there were some people at the end who were feeling very Buddha stressed. <sighs> I'm sorry. Did we, did we suddenly get Michael Andretti on this on this call this weekend with all, with all, with all these shitty puns? Dear God. Make him stop. It's terrible. Um, no, but uh, yeah, he's quite right. Lewis Hamilton and eventually takes a very comfortable victory in the end by 17 seconds ahead of the broken free Sebastian um, in second place. Kimi Raikkonen um, in third. Daniel Ricciardo fourth. Valtteri Bottas was given a 10-second time penalty post-race for that Ricciardo incident. Um, which I think everybody pretty much said was was pretty fair game. Um, the Vettel incident was, you could probably say, was a racing incident. Um, you know, Bottas probably should have given that up a little bit earlier, but Seb wasn't quite an entire car length in front. Six of one, half dozen of the other. They let that one go. Um, ten second time penalty for Val on this one, which, to be fair, is actually pretty consistent for the stewards given the way this season has played out. You can go back yeah. to Verstappen, you can go back to Gasly taking out Hartley in China, um, and Raikkonen in, in Britain on Hamilton. There were all ten second penalties, so was this, which, you know, is fair enough. Um, going down through the field a little bit further, Pierre Gasly in sixth place. What a stunning bit of driving that was from Gasly. Um, oh, yeah, this is wonderful. Last car to finish on the lead lap. Uh, that, that Toro Rosso chassis is hooked together. I think that's why McLaren wants James Key, and that's why Toro Rosso aren't willing to give him up. 
Yeah, like, Pierre Gasly is quickly becoming the tyre management king, um, as, as Luke Smith put it in, in his driver ratings article today. He was the only other guy besides Hamilton to get a perfect 10 rating this weekend, and rightly so. Gasly, a superb bit of work to finish in sixth place. Uh, one of Toro Rosso's better results for the year. Um, an excellent drive from him. Kevin Magnussen, again, putting together yet more solid results week in, week out. Magnussen in P7 for Haas, deep in the points. Fernando Alonso was very happy to finish in 8th again before the happy summer. Happy 37th birthday! Go stand in the corner. Um, <laughs> we, don't, we don't celebrate Nando's birthday here. Um <laughs> I'm joking. Happy birthday, Fernando. Happy 37th. He celebrated his birthday with an 8th place finish. So not bad for a McLaren there at all. Carlos Sainz in 9th uh, was kind of the victim there. Basically, he said himself after the race, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, and he still finished in 9th. Um, and Romain Grosjean rounded off the points to get both passes in the points in 10th place. Brendan Hartley just missed out on the points. He reckoned Toro Rosso. Yeah, reckoned Toro Rosso done goofed on strategy because he reckoned that Hartley's pace was very good during the race itself. Um, a, a, a still a solid weekend from Hartley, all told. Just a bit unlucky to miss out on points. Um, uh, Hulkenberg twelfth. Both Force Indias came up to finish thirteenth and fourteenth in the end. Ocon ahead of Perez. Uh, Marcus Ericsson, who collided into Daniel Ricciardo's front wing in dramatic fashion on the opening lap. Luckily, no harm done. He finished in 15th place. Sorokin and Stroll, the last of the running cars for the Williams yet again. Sigh. Um, Sergey in 16th and Lance Stroll in 17th place. There was three DNFs. Um, Stoffel van Dorn with yet another gearbox failure. What is up with McLaren and these gearbox failures? I think that's like the fourth one they've had this season. Where a car was DNF yeah, the and this box. was after Van Dorn got the new chassis and it was running right up behind Fernando Alonso on the track yep. on pace for an eighth place finish. Um, and uh, I, I believe it was our, our it was friend of the show, Luke Smith, who pointed out that Van Dorn was having a good race, and then just minutes later, Gearbot trouble. Yeah, was running in ninth. He was due for some for, for a pair of points and. Uh... Nope, the gearbox lets him down again. Somebody give Stoffel a break, for God's sake. As uh, my man Callum on, on Twitter, at a can of Iron Brew, says, um, we're, we're opening the Stoffel support group. Um, hashtag Stoffel support group. So, getting your support for Stoffel Van Dorn here. Six minutes between props to Van Dorn as well right now, up from 15th to 9th on points on for his first points is Baku, just 2.8 seconds behind Alonso at 4.19 p.m., I'm sorry, world. The quote trade at 4.25. Sigh. We love you, Luke. We love you, Luke. God bless you. You're welcome on any time, sir. As mentioned as well, Max Verstappen, another power loss issue for Red Bull Racing. He, he ended up conking out on lap seven, and he swore his tits off. Um, I think that was about six F-bombs in there in about 15 seconds, because Max Verstappen is tired of your shit. Um, or in this case, tired of Renault's shit. Um, or somebody's shit uh, at this point. The bandit the bandit is tired. Has a, has, a, has a mouth that needs to be washed out with soap. Naughty boy, Max. Naughty. You clean that mouth out, boy. That's not very nice of you. Um, to, to point out as well, this is, I think, something like the eighth race this season. I think there's been at least one Red Bull have a technical retirement. 
And now Max Verstappen has effectively had a DNF in three of the last four. It's 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 not been a fun time for Max uh, in particular at all. Um, besides that win in Austria, it's yeah. it's it's been a bit of a miserable time for for Red Bull in general. Yeah, he he sorted out his racecraft. Now the car just won't hold up. Yeah, not ideal to say the least. To be. Yeah, and to be fair, it held up a little better than it did for Charles Leclerc, who didn't even complete a lap before his Sauber Ferrari, his Salfa Bermeo, broke down. Yeah, I think he had some form of contact with a Force India, and as a result, he had a broken suspension unit, and that was the end of his day on the opening lap. Um, so a bit of a fun, a bit of a back-to-earth moment for Charles Leclerc on this one. Um, knocked out in Q1, and then his race didn't even make a final lap. Um... Sigh. Yeah, um, first lap contact with the two Force Indias um, that knocked him out of contention. That's still very positive from him, from his point. he's He's got a lot to be proud of this start of the season. Indeed. It, you know, he'll learn. Rookie stuff, as you do. Championship standings as we go into the summer break. No F1 race now for a month. Sad face. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, thank God we get a break. I need, I, I need one in the, in the in the Vettel camp. Lewis Hamilton now has a twenty-four point lead going into the summer break over Sebastian Vettel. Effectively, a race in hand going into the summer break, and we, we return in a month's time in Belgium. He has two hundred and thirteen points to Vettel's one hundred and eighty-nine. He's forty-three ahead of his teammate Kimi Raikkonen, who has now had five consecutive podium finishes. The last time he did that was two thousand and seven. Good year for him, if I remember correctly. Um, so, yeah, that's that's that was Kimi Raikkonen's eighth podium of the season uh, already. I mean, I think he's had as, as almost as many as Sebastian's had, believe it or not. Um, Valter- got a feeling, I've got a feeling he's going to turn one of those into a win at some point. And it turns out that he's kind of good at the net track, or at least he was before his retirement. We st- are, we, are we are we still calling Kimi Raikkonen a spa specialist? I'm not saying that he'll win it at Spa, but it's a it's a possibility the way he's driving, and also it's contract time. So this is this is where Kimmy draws the most of his powers. True, he especially is, now he... that he's brought his son up to the paddock nowadays. Oh, Robin! Oh, Robin, Robin's so great. He got to celebrate at the top step of the podium. He got he. Oh my goodness! And he, rem- he remember to make sure that Kimi Räikkönen stayed hydrated. By the way, that's a talking point of the race. Kimi Räikkönen didn't have his drinks bottle. It was thirty-two degrees outside. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, thirty-two degrees Ugh. outside, no drinks bottle, and this also drew a little bit of a talk. As uh, and props to Marcus Ericsson for being so honest about this on Twitter afterwards. But uh, he mentioned he's not had a drinks bottle in his car for the last two years. Um, it. It, it turns out that uh, um, to save weight in the car, um, Ericsson has not ran with a water bottle since the 2016 season. And uh, amazingly, what we are talking about here is a kilo and a half. That's how much a full drinks bottle is in an F1 car. The team are so desperate to cut any weight they can, a kilo and a half means that Marcus Ericsson can't drink in his car because he's taller than the average driver. I believe Ericsson's 5'10", which is actually above average for an F1 driver. Um, and as a result, because he's a, he's a big boy, he can't drink in the car. F1, like, I'm thank God you're getting rid of this whole weight limit shit next year because this is ridiculous. It's it, it, like What made it doubly ridiculous for me was the fact that, like, 
F1 put it up on their Instagram page today like that was something to be proud of. Like... Oh yeah, he's got grit and heart. Look at him, he drove without a drinks bottle. Just Look like at him. Look at him be all dehydrated. What a guy. You know. He played through the pain. Yeah, a guy that lost nearly half a stone in water weight in the car. Like, what a guy. It's so brave of him. No, this is, this should not be a thing. Stop putting your driver's health at risk, okay? You should not be penalized in this sport for being tall and big like Mark Webber was for all those years. Like, Weber, who's a, a legit 6'2", and had to weigh, like, 70 kilos to fit in the car. The man was basically starving himself. Adrian Suttle was in the same camp when he, when, when the hybrid era first started. I remember Suttle came out and said he was starving himself to fit in the car. Because, again, he's taller than the average driver. He's about 5'11", Suttle. So, you know, he's another guy that struggled. Hulk is the biggest guy in the field right now, and I wonder how Hulk's keeps getting the look, because Hulk's a legit six-footer. Um, so, this shouldn't be a thing. Like, and F1, you probably shouldn't be promoting that. Like, that's a good thing that your guys are almost passing out of dehydration in the car. Let's not forget yeah. we, we, we have Singapore in three rounds time and the drivers are going to lose almost a stone in water weights by the time that race is over due to the conditions. It's not good. So, the first thing that came to mind, I don't remember if RJ remembers this, but, like, it had to be at least a decade ago now. But that ad that Gatorade ran with Matt Kenseth about that time Matt Kenseth recalls when he, like, through dehydration, passed out in the car and went head-on into a wall at, I think it was one of the 1.5 milers, head-on into the wall at, like, the kink in the quad oval. Oh, jeez, I, I have no recollection of this. Like I'm... I actually, I actually don't. You'll have to find the clip from me for later, but that okay. sounds about right. The one bit of NASCAR-related dehydration that I recall that vividly sticks out of my mind: uh, Martinsville Speedway in the summer of 1998. Um, veteran driver Ricky Rudd uh, wins the race, and then uh, and then has to do it, has to do his victory lane interview hooked up to a ventilator uh, on his back because he is so. <laughs> fucking spent from spending all that race in a hot stock car with the air conditioner broke no water it is like a hundred degrees outside good grief (sighs) that should not be a thing no it shouldn't that should not be a thing. I, I'm sorry. We 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 were getting to the driver standings. We we got to the top three. Yeah. Botas is fourth. Yes. Yeah. Botas yeah. fourth. Yeah. 132. Yeah, but also you know, shout out shout out to Robin Raikkonen. Like he's taken Filipino's spot as the cutest thing in the paddock now, and the only pure thing left in Formula One. Go Robin Raikkonen. <laughs> Give Daddy ice cream and water like a good boy, um, and celebrate on the podium because he he now has more podiums than Nico Hulkenberg does. Sigh. <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo in fifth now on 118 points. He's now 13 ahead of his teammate Max Verstappen on 105. In the best of the rest standings, Nico Hulkenberg, despite not scoring points today, leads that category in seventh, which would which would be his best season ever, by the way, if he finishes up there on 52 points. Kevin Magnussen's closing him in a little bit on 45. Fernando Alonso a point behind him now on 44. Um... Uh, Sergio Perez next up in t- rounds off the top 10 he's now joint 10th with Carlos Sainz Jr that Baku podium now breaking the tie with Carlos for 10th overall constructor standings 
Mercedes, their lead has actually um, gone gone to ten points. I think it's actually been reduced a little bit by uh, by the double podium of Ferrari on that one. Um, down to ten points now. Merck's on three forty five. The Ferrari's three thirty five. Red Bull. It's, it's becoming a growing no-man's land right now for them now in third place on 223. Um, but they are still way ahead of fourth place team Renault on 82 points. They're now 16 ahead of Haas um, on 66. Uh, Force India on 59 ahead of McLaren Renault on 52. Um, Toro Rosso again kind of in, in the middle of nowhere on 28 points in eighth place. Um, Sauber still on 18 and Williams still at the back with just four. As mentioned, next F1 race in a month's time after the summer break as, as F1 heads to the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa-Francorchamps. Fun times for all involved. Um, get into you get into Formula 2, lads. Oh, yes, yeah. it's time. It's time for. It's. It's. I'm guessing this is NXT Takeover Budapest. Y yeah. yeah. <laughs> Changeable conditions, Budapest. May I add. Yes, these are these are when this is when the racing really is at its Buddha best. <laughs> Make him stop. <laughs> I'm just warming up, pal. Get out! You're not welcome in here anymore. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to build another extension to the sin if this keeps up. <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's fine. I've I've already put the down payment on the. I've already put a down payment on it and everything, folks. Hate this. Hate this shit. RJ, tell them about what happened in Feature Ice. <sighs> Woo! Oh boy, that was a whoa, buddy. That was a lot of action. Um, we start with uh, we start with uh, we start with qualifying. How did qualifying end up? Well, I'm vamping for that. Um, the, uh, the, the key points of this race is that it started wet and Lando Norris was, uh, was just, uh, cutting his way through the field, just in the wet conditions to start the race. Nobody was touching the car limb of Lando Norris. Nobody. Yeah. So it was, it was his teammate, Sergio Cetti Camera, who took pole by four, by three one hundredths of a second over Jack Aitken. So you have Camera and Aitken on the front row. Lando Norris starting in sits, but it would not take uh, Norris long before he found himself up in the lead of the race with some brilliant driving the wet conditions. Um, and as it, it became a talking point later on because, uh, spoilers, Norris's pace does diminish a little bit later on. But they kind of asked, like, was it all down the setup of the car? Lando was just like, no, it was, it was just the fact that I was really confident in the wet mm -hmm. conditions. I think some of it might have been a little bit of the setup of the car, but that's yeah, it helps. Oh my goodness! But uh, but the conditions do rapidly change. Um, the the wet weather dries out, and Norris, uh, who has amassed a sizable lead by this point, um, all of a sudden doesn't look as racing. Someone has to take the initiative. Enter his fellow McLaren Junior. The other McLaren Jr. in the team, Nick DeVries of Pertamina Prima Theodore Racing, presented by Jagonia I Am, who is clawing back the deficit, sometimes by as many as two or three seconds a lap to Norris. And it was just going to be a matter of time before DeVries made the move. They call him DeVries, and he's rolling down the road to take the lead and eventually the win in the Formula 2 feature race. Picking up the fastest lap as well, so that's two extra bonus points to his tally. Ahead of Lando Norris, who would finish in second. 
and uh, and it would be Antonio Fuco in the in the first of the Charuz racing cars, finishing third. Jack Aitken held on to finish fourth. Alex Albon finished fifth. Luca Giotto was sixth. Sergio Sete Camera, oh Sete Camera had a tough oh. Yeah, th- I almost forgot about the uh, the yeah. finish for the final phony position. Mm. Yeah, that uh, that reminded me. So it it came down to Fuoco and uh, Sergio Sete Camera for this final podium position as they were both trying to get past Lando Norris. And on the final lap, as they were heading through the penultimate corner, um, I believe it was uh, I believe it was Norris who. Uh, King, you're going to have to help me out here because okay. I know Norris came away with second, and then all of a sudden Fuoco and Camera touch. Camera makes contact with Fuoco and spins the Italian out. Camera would finish third on the road, and then would get an immediate 10-second time penalty. Yeah, because basically Camera had pretty much dive-bombed Fuoco for that for that position, and they made contact, and pretty much the stewards, without hesitation, 10-second penalty. You're going back to seventh, my friend. Hmm, <sighs> yeah, and that, uh... And that uh, that does take a few more points out of there. Kind of benefits him in the terms of the sprint race, which would the pro for the Sunday race would go to Artem Markolov in eighth, Tadasuke Makino in ninth, and Nirai Fukuzumi in tenth to complete. Yeah, Makino came from yes. the back of the uh, grid, Marco. by the way. Yeah, and he was setting he was setting purple laps all day. Dude was on fire. Yeah, Foco was also given a penalty as well. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Oh yes, uh, yeah. This was a this was a fun feature race. If you have time to at least check out the the highlights on F1 TV Pro or like some very legal YouTube upload <clears> or what have you, definitely go ahead and check it out. Good one, good good race. And then we get to the sprint race, which uh, which again um, which again was very thrilling. Uh, Alex Albon from uh, from fourth in the grid. Uh, as Luca Giotto had uh, led for pretty much the whole r- late of the race until the tie fighter in the final five laps took the vic- lead and then took the victory. His third win of the season for Dams. Giotto finishing uh, second, 9.5 seconds down. Sergio Sade Camera does make up for Saturday by taking third place to complete the podium of the sprint race. Uh, the rest of those results here, Lando Norris in fourth, Roberto Mary in fifth, Nirai Fukuzumi in sixth, Nick DeVries following up in seventh, and George Russell, who started at the back of the grid because his car broke down in the feature race. That's an important point here because that is crucial points lost for Russell. He does salvage a point out of it, but uh, that this is not a good day in terms of George Russell maintaining his uh, championship lead. No. As we would come to find out, yes, it is. Uh, yes, looking over the uh, the standings here, it is still Russell in the lead. But now, thanks to his retirement and the fact that Norris got two top four finishes, that lead has now been trimmed to just um, to just twelve points between Russell and Norris. And with his victory, Alex Albon is just thirty points out of the lead. That can easily be overturned in the space of a race uh-huh. weekend. And even behind them, you have Markolov on 114, DeVries on 114, Markolov holding the tiebreaker with three wins to two over DeVries. Antonio Fuoco is sixth, Sergio Sede Camera is seventh. They're all at triple-digit points right now. Um, any one of those can be a factor over the next four race meetings and eight races. There's still a lot on the table. 
us. I don't think it's uh, don't think it's not Russell or even Norris's title just yet. Indeed, like I like the idea that people have started talking about that uh, Alex Albon might actually be taken back um, into the uh, into the Red Bull camp after you know he, he'll probably have enough super license points after this season's finishes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry that comment in yes. the chat. <laughs> he's British, right? Yeah, he's winning. He, he, he counts. You know, born in London. He, he's, he's, yeah, he's London's Alex Albon. Yes, now. London's finest. You know. <laughs> yeah, just not on just not on first name basis with uh, with occasional F two um, uh, placeholder Johnny Herbert. <laughs> Though, I do have to admit, Nick DeVries has come a long way since the last time I saw him eating dinner alone in a, lo- in a Brooklyn hotel. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, talk, that talk definitely, uh, shall, I, shall we say, piped up um, after that race weekend. It's like, oh, you know, Red Bull could take Albon on, you know, that's, you know, flourishing British yeah. dude. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it would actually, you know, it, it wouldn't be bad. I mean, heck, if uh, because Dan Tictum's not going to have the super license points, um, and they they kind of don't they they made it a kind of an open secret that Brendan Hartley, as good as he is, they're kind of just treating him as a placeholder at this point. They can find somebody that's you know one of their own homegrown talents. They didn't, you know, cut and bait cut bait with about six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm very fascinated. It the Nets races are Spa, Monza, Sochi, and Yas Marina for the finale. Uh, just wrapping, just uh, briefly on GP3, Nikita Mazepin won the feature race from pole position. Dorian Bocalacci won the sprint. It's 15 points between championship leader Antoine Hirbert, who got three, two third place finishes, and Callum Islet who is second on 114 points with the sits in the feature and a second in the sprint. Lovely jubbly. Um, off this quick musical break, and the, well, let's be talking about Hungary again real quick. It wasn't all that special till the last 10 laps. Go watch the highlight version on YouTube. You'll thank me later. Um, but uh, after this quick musical break, we'll be back to talk about IndyCar's Mid-Ohio 200, and we'll get into some of the news as well, right after this. Thank God we've escaped all the Budapest puns. Right. <laughs> Fair to say it was a Buddha mess. <laughs> kill Sorry, him. I had kill to. him. Kill him. <laughs> kill. You can't kill what's already dead inside. <sighs> right. IndyCar's Mid-Ohio 200 took place this weekend as well, and uh, there was a lot of fear that Scott Dixon would, would rubber-stamp this championship because it's a, it's a track he's won around five times in the past. Five time, five time, five time, five time, five time Mid-Ohio winner. Shout-outs uh, to Booker T. RJ's drunk. Like, somebody stop him. Um, oh, no, we're, I'm recording this sober. If I, if I recorded this drunk, you, y'all would have known in advance. 
Oh, good. That, 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 that's really reassuring at a time like this. But uh, it, it turns out that the weekend was dominated by one, your like Robert Wickens' best friend, Alex Rossi. Um, pole position on the very far, on the very last lap of the fast six, took pole position and then would go on to lead 66 of 90 laps in total, mostly down to the fact that he was the only man in the front to run a two-stop strategy, and it paid off beautifully for him. Um, King, what can you say? Just spectacular quality driving for Maddox Rossi on this one. Yeah, that is... That, that, that's textbook. There's no other way to put it. It's a textbook way to how to win from pole in IndyCar. Yep, pitted on lap 29, pitted on lap 59, uh, ran the final 31 laps on a single tank. Alexander Rossi and getting more fuel mileage out of a single tank. When has that ever come up? <laughs> Never. And, th and this is in Ditson country, too. That makes it even more ironic. Yeah, it was uh, it was a flawless performance from Alex Rossi. He made a bit of a mockery of the field, and the two-stopper was so effective, he ended up winning the race by 13 seconds um, over. RJ, go on. You know you want to sing his name. There's only one Bobby Wickets! One Bobby Wickets! Walking along, singing a song, walking in a wicked's wonderland. Yeah, this kid's good. He's very good. Um, he was the only guy that really had a shot at uh, challenging Alex Rossi um, for the win on this occasion. He was... Led 15 laps. Le yeah, led 15 laps, was on fire on the sticker red tyres in that in that initial stint. At one point, he had a 15-second lead trying to chase down Rossi's uh, one less stop advantage. It was about 25, 26 seconds to stop in, to stop in Ohio. Wickens couldn't quite chase him down because on his third stint on the free stopper, he was caught behind Tony Kanan and Takuma Sato, who were fighting on their own rights for, I think it was 18th place. You know, you know the IndyCar rules. Blue flags are only advisory, not mandatory. So he was stuck behind Takuma Sato for a, for a good length of time. And in that time, Rossi was able to save fuel and not lose any time. And as a result, that's what effectively ended Wicken's chances at the race win. Um, but it is another top five result from Robert Wickens. He's not going away, folks. He's putting together one fantastic uh, rookie season, no matter which way you slice it, King. And uh, I'm starting to think it might be... SPM might be his team going forward because Hinchcliffe was really struggling out there this weekend. Yeah, it's it's definitely not... A, we're not in Iowa anymore. <laughs> no, we're not. Um, and it, it already feels like a long time ago because it, it's it's another another really strong performance in Wickens. I'm trying to count it up in my head right now, but uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven top five finishes from Wickens this season, including the last four races. He's finished in the top five. That first win is coming. It's a matter of when rather than if. And... Uh, yeah, the man is on fire right now. He really is. He's, he's, he's driving phenomenally well. The only other guy in this race to lead laps was Will Power, who finished in third. He was pretty content with that after the race. He said himself that, uh, well, you know, we, we struggled on the black tyre, and the field is so good now, you, you just have to be perfect to win a race now. And 
anything less is just not going to be your day and that's what power effectively said after the race he just yeah mm. the uh, the red option tires were just not cutting at this race for whatever reason indeed um and yeah it also had a, had a bit of a problem with joseph newgarden who finished in fourth but hey at least he had pass of the day with that st- stunning dive bomb coming out of the pits on power on the corner before yep. the main straight at turn two holy shit what an inch perfect dive bomb that was um i still believe there's still time the one can still be defended especially with moves like that yeah joseph newgarden is quickly becoming like the clutch passer in indycar it, it, it is absolutely ridiculous what he's putting off um on track on on certain occasions um what does what doesn't this man do other than play by the rules of Penske games? But that's besides the point. <laughs> yes, um, which and like <laughs> I have to talk about this on Twitter because I think it was me, Lizzie, Danny, Alex, and a bunch of guys. We basically like, like Lizzie started off talking about how flawless Joseph Newgarden is as, 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 as a really as, 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 a, as a human being, which is pretty much accurate at this point. I can't even lie, and uh, it quickly spiraled out of control into talking about which drivers have the biggest. Um, don't ask me how I got sucked into this, but uh, it was a thing, and I thought it was hilarious, and I absolutely loved it. And I will say, with moves like that, though, um, while while we don't know precisely how well endowed Joseph Newgarden's is, not that it's any of our business, um, he is certainly exuding a <laughs> certain energy with moves like that. Um, large crotch energy, I believe the phrase you're looking for here, isn't it? Um, uh, big rich energy. Yes. <laughs> More on that late, very shortly. But uh, running down the rest of the order, Scott Dixon in fifth was kind of in no man's land for most of this race. Just couldn't find his way around certain folks, but uh, still a solid top five result for Dixon. I don't think he'll be too upset at that one. Um, no, you are reading this correctly. From 24th on the grid to 6th, Sebastian Seabass board day. What a drive that was. One of the rides of the year so far for me. Um, that was stunning from Seb Bourdais. What a performance that was. He was carving through the field. Yeah, I was, I, I was so glad that I kept the faith and kept him on my fantasy team despite him being dead last. Legend. The man is a god. That like the amount of like he was doing moves around the outside, moves around the inside. He was baiting Hunter Ray into into giving up the last of his push to pass and then passing him. Boy, they drove that to absolute perfection. He only ended up finishing off 0.6 behind Scott Dixon in the end. Um, but uh, from 24th, stone dead last after a mistake in qualifying. 24th to 6th, plus 18 from where he started. Magnificent performance from Seb Bourdais. I think it was one of the best of the year so far for me. Um, that was a stunning drive ahead of Ryan hunter in 7th. Um, just not his day really out there. Simon Pagano had a great drive in his own right from 17th to 8th. Um, plus 9 for Simon Pagano. A solid performance there. Ahead of Graham Rahal, the hometown hero, who struggled a little bit on this one in ninth place. Another top 10 for the young Zach Veach. Um... The other hometown hero. Yes, from from Ohio himself. Literally just down the road. His dad was there as well. It was really nice to see. And back-to-back um, top 10s for Veach as well. Indeed. Things are coming and together for Zach Veach. And he just say, hasn't well, forgotten the heat. Indeed. And uh, I have to say as well, he, he put out a really 
great post on the IndyCars website talking about how he, um, how he came back from a lot of bullying he got in high school as well. And um, that's something I've always felt very passionately about. So that was if you haven't seen it on the IndyCars website, go check it out. It's a great piece. And Zach Beach is a good kid. Um, and I, I happily root for him. The guy's doing a really solid job in the, in the, in the 26 car at the moment. So more power to the kid. He's doing a great job. Uh, Marco Andretti in 11th place, kind of in no man's land again there as well. He was 12 seconds behind Veach in the end. Jordan King in 12th for Red Carpenter Racing, ahead of his teammate Spencer Piggott in the 21 car in 13th. James Hinchcliffe tried a free stopper, didn't work. He could have easily been in the far six. He was going to be in the far six after sticking the fastest time in cute in, in, the, in the second round of qualifying, the last 12, and then puts it in the wall and brings out a red flag. Denying Scott Dixon of a chance of getting into the far six, and Hinchcliffe had his time removed and was eliminated. God damn it, Hinch. For God's sake. Um, he was in 14th, ahead of Ed Jones in 15th. Charlie Kimball in 16th. Sigh. Takuma Sato in 17th place ahead of Tony Kanan. Uh, Mephaeus Leist in 19th place. Jack Harvey in 20th. Rene Binder in 21st. Connor Daly, who was running in 15th place, but then ran out of fuel on the final lap. God damn it. <laughs> Arden. <laughs> We're not here for this. Daily down in 22nd place. Great to see Pietro Fittipaldi back in the car. It's a shame he admitted he was in a lot of pain. He was never going to be at 100% for this one. But it's nice to see him back in the car in the 19 car again. He finished in 23rd place. And Max Chilton, a shame he was he was, he was was bumped in the early going. Um, he actually made the far six. It was the first time McCollin had made... Um, the, the 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 last round of qualifiers. So another another box ticked for the Carlin team going forward. Just not the best race day for him in the yeah, end. Unfortunately, picked up a uh, picked up a drive through penalty on lap four for avoidable contact. Uh, what do you make of that? Um, sadly, I actually missed the first few laps of this race because I was I was busy watching the darts while match play final. My apologies, guys. <laughs> Like it was Mensasilovich, I had to do it. It was it was a fun time for all involved. Um, help me out on this one, King. <laughs> Wait, uh, Veach's yeah. Uh, as as the Bourdais fan, I'm I'm on the side of Veach's penalty for avoidable contact being justly earned. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Shit happens. Um, so that's the running order. Championship standings real quick. Uh, Dixon was going into this round for 62-point lead. It's a little bit less than that now. It's down to 46. And Alex Rossi is now back into second place on 448 points to Dixon's 494. He's 14 ahead of Joseph Newgarden, who slipped to third now. Um, amazing that. Newgarden has, has as many wins as anybody, has more polls than anybody in the field, and is a distant third, 60 points behind Dixon. When Newgarden's had it bad, he's had it really bad this season. Poor guy. He's on 434. The one is slipping. There's only, there's only four rounds to go now. Pocono up next. Um, Will Power in, in fourth, trying along on 407. Hunter Ray in fifth, now on 399. And Robert Wickens now up into sixth place with 380 points ahead of Simon Pagano on 344. Graham Rahal on 335 in eighth. James Hinchcliffe in ninth on 328. Um, and Seb Bourdais back into the top 10 with that man's fantastic drive. He's up to 293 now ahead of Andretti's 285. Uh, yep, yeah, IndyCar returns. Is it next weekend, King, or is it, is no. it this weekend? Oh, no, we've got we've got a summer break as well in IndyCar. Yeah. Well, Ooh. sort of. It's, it's three, three weeks, weeks off. Yeah. But it will be uh, August 19th, the party in the Poconos, the ABC Supply, 
500. It's the uh, it's triangle. the second. Yeah, it's the tricky triangle. Yes, it's the second big 500 mile super speedway race. It's gonna be hype. Back to back weeks of ovals with the yeah. Bomberito 500 at Gateway Motorsports Park on August the 25th. And in nice. terms of points available, taking into account that Sonoma is double points and that you get points for pole position and most laps led, there are 265 points still available, meaning anything can still happen. Anyone, uh, yeah, anyone in the top five can realistically still have a chance at winning the championship with, like, an outside look at Bobby Wickens if, you know, certain things fall into place. Yeah, Wickens is pretty much already wrapped up uh, Rookie of the Year at this point. Really? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it's not it's not mathematically clinched, I don't believe, but no. 380 to Wickens through to 211 to Zach Veach in second among the rookies. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's coming home. It's coming it's, it's coming into Canada. <laughs> it's coming home, eh? <laughs> yeah. Eh. So yeah, to be fair, in general, we don't talk about it very much because it, 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 yeah, from a new standpoint, it was a very straightforward race. But on track, it was a very fun race to watch. Like oh, somebody overtakes in the uh, in the midfield and in, in the upper in the upper field of Newgarden and Hunter Ray and Bourdais and um, Pagano was well worth the watch. So it's, it's about as good as a race can get without major shenanigans. Um, for for a, what for a very straightforward race, it was a very entertaining one as well. So definitely give it a watch. The fast forward half an hour version is already up on YouTube now. It will probably fill in all you need to really have in terms of highlights. I'm sure the full race will be up by the time this goes out proper. But uh, check it out if you haven't already. Right, gentlemen, shall we get into the news? Yeah. And yeah, let's, now, let's crack this open. There was one other really big news story that came out of Formula One this weekend. Force, in Force India have entered administration. Now, that wasn't the big news. Like, trust me, everything else that comes with that is the big news. Um, This is a whole mountain of shit. Right here, just to say the least. Uh, especially when you really figure out the guy that put them into administration was. Wait, it says Sergio Perez's name here. That can't be right, can it? Can it? Yeah. yeah. Right. <sighs> oh boy, where do we start? Well, with all good things, this. Well, with anything with Force India, within like the last five or six years, this really, this really drills down to one common cause. Uh. VJ, pay your tats, is my dude. God damn it. It turns out he owes a lot more money than we actually first thought, basically. Um, including Sergio Perez being owed 4 million euros and Mercedes as the engine supplier being owed another 10 on top of that. And that doesn't even, that barely scratches the surface in terms of uh, total money owed and creditors owed and, and, and whatnot. And, uh,. It all started to hit the fan before the race weekend started when a certain quote-unquote Rich Energy on Twitter, who was rumoured to be buying out the team earlier this week, um, came out of a really damning tweet basically throwing Checo and Mercedes under the bus. They couldn't believe that, you know, forcing you into the administration despite a quote-unquote £30 million cash injection into the team. 
which was really weird because if you looked into their assets on Companies House in the UK, I mean, you can pay a pound and you can find all their balance sheets and shit. That's always fun. Um, data and all that fun stuff. It turns out the company only had about £1.7 million worth of assets going into them. Um, so we all thought in that was basically 2017. Yeah, in, in 2017. Though yeah. so it should be noted that in a recent... Uh, well, fairly recent enough interview that the chief executive did with The Telegraph in March, uh, apparently the company's estimated worth is uh, around, well, they're expecting at least 20 million pounds in revenue this year, which is still more than 30 million. I mean, which is still way less than 20, uh, 30 million, but it's a lot higher than what they made last year. Also, he doesn't believe. Also, he t- he'll tell you that gold is in a color. <laughs> yes. Even though it's splashed out all over his energy drink as a brand, which I think is quite funny. <sighs> I'll get more into like the history of rich energy in a bit, but yeah, apparently the largest creditor of Force India is their own holding company for the team, which. Mm, they they owe this holding company. Oh, I had the number right in front of me a second ago. I believe it was. I believe it was. Uh, it was nine figures. It was yes, about one hundred seventy million. I think it was something like that. Yeah, it is two hundred and eight million U.S. dollars. <sighs> Jesus, that is, that is a that. Yeah, if you if you want to run a Formula One team, you better be prepared to owe a lot of money. But the the bigger issue, a part of that you know, debt is the fact that uh, the owner of this holding company, Vijay Malia, uh, allegedly, I I use allegedly, it's probably owes the Indian government about two billion U.S. dollars, so. (laughs) Yeah, as I mentioned, everything that has started with with Force India's on again, off again, you know, are they going to go in administration? Are they going to go bankrupt? Are they going to go bust? It all traces back to VJ Malley in some respect. <sighs> the the reason is that uh, say say the Indian government immediately wants this debt now they could shut down Force India tomorrow, but Force India has a bunch of other smaller creditors who are also owed money, including uh, BWT, Mercedes, Sergio Perez. <laughs> Uh, yeah, America Mobile, I believe, is uh, Checo's. Yes. Uh, that's basically Telmet's. That's Claro. That's all those brands. Um, and uh, it, it's crazy to see uh, to see one of the people behind. Uh, you're basically their lead driver for the mm-hmm. last five years, um, being behind putting the team into uh, into what I believe the this would be the American equivalent of bankruptcy, I believe. Yeah, chapter eleven. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, it's it's not full on chapter set. It, it's it, it's it's a little weird, but uh, but uh, Perez was uh, was uh, Perez said his uh, desire to put this team in administration was because you know he he wanted to make sure that the four hundred several hundred people that wanted to uh, that are working with Force India, be it as be it as mechanics, engineers, general staff. At 400 teammates, his pure intention was to save the job of more than 400 teammates. 
Yeah, and it's probably the best case scenario for Force India right now because it doesn't shut the company down immediately. It allows them to continue to trade as a team while the administrators can hurry up and find a buyer, basically, which, I mean, the vibes from the paddock on over the weekend was the vibes of this is actually good news for Force India because it will hurry up a sale, basically. And I've already seen stories of Autosport talking about... Well... According to Toto, there's a, there's a lot of interest, a lot of interested buyers a lot of interested parties, and yeah, basically it's the, the administrators are already apparently working around the clock to try and get a sale punched in so Force India can, be, can get back on their feet, basically. Yeah, because they... The leading candidate is still Lawrence Stroll. Yes. At, at, at time of writing, but the, again, this situation is very, very fluid. In fact, I believe um, I believe there is a there is a vote um, to uh, to basically allow Force India or whatever they become next year to keep their performance bonuses. It's hit a snag because McLaren, Williams, and Renault are kind of undecided on whether or not to let that go through. Undecided, they, they, they shot it down this this, this morning. Yeah, they Ooh. voted no straight Oof. up. Like okay. a, a lot of people were saying karma because Force India shot that down for Mana when they were on the brink in 2016, but. Uh, yeah, it's easy to say that when you're not worried about the 400 people that could be losing their jobs. So I would wind that in for people on Twitter that insist oh yeah, it's karma for Force India. Yeah, yeah, it's it's karma for Force India's management maybe, and VJ who again went out of his way to make other teams' existence miserable. But let's not forget, this is a team with human people in it, human employees, and people that could be losing their jobs and their livelihoods. So it's not funny. Oh, uh, I yeah. like as much as I like the you know. Yes, we should worry about the 400 people who could be losing their jobs here, but they, everyone knew the financial standing of Force India heading into this. They could have easily looked for employment earlier somewhere else outside of Formula One. They chose to work yeah. there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, yeah, but the thing is though, like, if especially if you're like a if you're like a high if you're like under contract for like a considerable amount of time, and again, this is still a very good team. Going into yeah. the season, they had just finished fourth in the constructors championship in back to back years. And they're not too far out of fifth right now. They had a they had kind of a crappy race at Hungary, but that's typically not well, one they're, of the well, better they're tracks. Typically tracks is coming up you know, in a month's time in spa, so a race they've only won in 2009, but uh, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, it's 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 still up. Their status as a team is still up in the air. I mean, again, from from what from what I've seen, it looks like overall the team is is optimistic, and F1 in general is optimistic that they'll they'll get back on their feet soon enough as soon as they put this sale through. So. Have to wait and see how it turns out. I mean, I've got they've got Sergio Perez's statement he put on the matter up here. I'll read it to you out. And I quote: "This was on July 28th. Um, hello, everybody. I want you to know my version of what happened in these last days, as I have sadly seen on the media a lot of wrong information that hurts me. Because my pure intention was to save the jobs of more than 400 teammates. I'm writing this to send a message of confidence to my teammates and to all the fans that have supported me in my professional career and in my personal life." Force India has been in a critical financial position for some time. On Wednesday this week, one of the creditors was in court in London trying to wind up the team. If successful, this would have meant the team would be shut down immediately
immediately and everyone would lose their jobs. Yeah, that, that was them going to the High Court in, in London, basically. Um, anyone that's seen the episodes of Can't Pay will take it away will know exactly what I'm talking about here. As being myself one of the creditors of the team, I was asked to use a different legal procedure in the English court's named administration, which allows a company to continue operating while a new owner is found. We had to move very quickly and luckily we managed to get a court hearing yesterday where the judge agreed with our position thanks to support from Mercedes and BWT. As a result, the team is now in the hands of an administrator who can sell the team and save the jobs of the 400 amazing people that work at the team. It has been a very stressful it has been very stressful these last few months, but it's important to do the right thing and I think the team will now have a very bright future. Signed Sergio Perez. I'm very optimistic it'll work out. Uh, this team, of course, has a history that traces back to the founding of Jordan F1 back in 1991. Um, it's operated under different names, but there's still that heritage, and that's still a good team uh, with uh, with really good people at it. And here's hoping it all works out in the long run, especially over the summer break. Indeed. I, I, I really want to see this team survive and hopefully flourish with proper ownership, stable ownership, because that's, that's the thing with VJ. He's never instilled confidence as an owner. He's always, um, you know... He's there for, like, ha- one round. Yeah, I mean, he's just financially unstable and has been for quite some time, unfortunately. And, you know, I, I sincerely hope that you know, they can find a way to, to, to get a stable owner underneath them because I've said it before, this is the best pound for pound team in Formula One. No one in Formula One in the last decade has done more with less than Force India has. Um, the fact that they, they have come down from being the fourth best team in Formula One, the best of the rest compared to the really, really big factory hitters that are dropping 200 million a year to compete in F1 right now is an incredible testament to what this team can do. And I, I sincerely hope they find a way to survive and you know, just give them a chance that they can really stretch their legs a little bit and you know just get back to where they were because this is an incredible team. Pound for pound, they, they, they're, they're a former Motorsport 101 team of the year. So we, we know what they're capable of. And again, I, I wish them all the very best. Um, here's hoping. Uh, here's hoping that it all works out. But... Uh, yeah, going on to the next major story on this whoa, one. Whoa, uh, this whoa, was another whoa, fu- whoa. We oh. need to talk. Oh, oh, hang we on. gotta talk more about this rich energy. <laughs> oh my god! Do we <laughs> big, big rich energy? Uh, because I think you mentioned it earlier. They were uh, aiming to buy the team, and I think they still are aiming to buy the team. Which is weird that they would not want administration to happen because then they would have new owners that. Is that new owners who aren't Vijay Malia who would sell to Rich Energy because I don't know why Rich Energy wants to own Force India. This seems like, uh, I wouldn't say a fantasy, but it seems like a really out of reach goal for the chief executive of Rich Energy, William uh, Story, who his back, his, his backstory is just weird. <laughs> Tell us more, King, because so, you've been doing the digging on this one. So, uh, after after he, you know, finished, apparently he went to a comprehensive school. Uh, he, for a while, he was in the RAF. He was a professional footballer until he ended up as a tobacco farmer in Zimbabwe. As you do. <laughs> you know. And uh, apparently he realized uh, about how... Uh, low the land value in Zimbabwe was, so he ended up being involved as a, 
as a you know tobacco company owner he couldn't own land in zimbabwe because zimbabwe law you have to be zimbabwe and to own land there so basically rich energy is funded off of him just selling everything he owned in like the zimbabwe tobacco industry so apparently he's like a multi-millionaire outside of rich energy and apparently he claims to have been approached by red bull to sell rich energy to them Hmm. And appar- apparently, uh, I saw that apparently he turned down the chance to be in Tesco's. Uh, yeah, that Tesco had uh, offered to stock all their stores with rich energy, but he said no thanks. A baffling. <laughs> that is that is like Tesco is the biggest supermarket chain in this country by a country mile. Um, like, so the fact he turned that down is just baffling to me. But like, it's just ridiculous. He, he has, dire- like, he has, you know, d- direct deals with, you know, hotel chains like Hilton and Marriott. Uh, he claims that if everything works out right, uh, they'll have made 150 million pounds by the end of the year. I, I think that's a bit of a reach. Um... I, f- I think it's almost as big a reach as Joseph Newgarden had on Will Power during that race on Sunday. Though, um, in this, in the clo- his closing statement in this feature that in in the Telegraph, just it pretty much says it all. Where he says, "I'm not going to sell the business to Red Bull." He frowns. Having lots of money just sitting in a bank account doesn't do it for me. <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to try and make more money by myself. Then, okay, sorry. You know what I'm getting a vibe of. And and maybe like um, maybe people who grew up with F one and nineties are are vaguely. Is anybody familiar with the name Prince Malik Adu Ibrahim? No. That would be the name of the uh, of the uh, the Nigerian prince uh, who was trying to start an own energy his own energy drink under the label T minus, um, and was and became an investor into the Eros Formula One team at the start of the nineteen ninety nine season. By the end of the 1990 season, he had completely left. <laughs> he was gone. Oh my yeah. god. And like, it also kind of put arrows on the path to ruin where they eventually folded by the end of 2002. And just like going into stories, just like business kind of approach where he, quote, I felt the drinks the the energy drinks market had been a race to the bottom with companies such as Boost selling their cans for for 49 pence. Boost is a great company and their strategy has been successful, but we had decided to launch a premium brand, so I opted for a price point above Red Bulls. <laughs> like a a price point for sugar water at almost 2 pounds a can. I I like I I, I find that shit laughable, especially in the era now where the sugar tax is now a thing in the UK, where now everything is more expensive. Yeah. and it, <laughs> Across the board. Continuing on, quote, he adds that his company is not interested in marketing to kids, instead focusing on the alcohol mixer market and the adult energy drink consumers. So he's unfazed about the sugar tax, something his high energy drink won't be able to avoid. This well, is like big baller brand in energy drink form. Yeah, yeah. See, the funny thing about that is, is that like he has a point when it comes to selling to adults because it's 
we mentioned this on Bike Life a couple of weeks ago that we, me and Lewis, generally think like the energy drink bubble is going to burst at some point. But in the UK, it's now harder than ever to buy energy drinks because like supermarkets are now starting to put ID checks on buying energy drinks. You have to be over the age of 16 to walk into an Asda supermarket and buy an energy drink now. So, yeah, like, they're, they're becoming more and more regulated. And I can, see, I can see where he's coming from. And if you look on Retention's website, like, it, it's, it's got a premium shop. And, like, they are clearly aiming for, like, the gift market sort of area. And, like, you, know, they, you can see they are definitely trying the whole premium side of the shit. Even if it is just, again, expensive sugar water. But... As I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, if someone is willing to buy me a can of rich energy drink, I will taste <laughs> test it on a future episode. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, but like their ambassadors include, obviously I mentioned Triple G earlier in the show. They have, uh, they have Rob Lee <laughs> as an ambassador. Wow. Um, uh, do they have, uh, yeah, they have the road racer Jim Walker. They have, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> the West Ham Ladies Football Club. <laughs> yes, I find it amazing that he was able to get some road racing because the Isle of Man TT is now literally sponsored by Monster. <laughs> yeah, apparently that was that was their first big deal. That was their first big deal. Amazing, and they managed to get they managed to get one of the bikes sponsored right under Monster Energy's nose. I thought that was hilarious, um, personally. Um, I'm not saying anything bad about them here for the obvious reason of um, they may have been in the want, competition we want for the them prize. To sponsor us, yes, we yes, we do. To sponsor us, uh, please. We will, we will drink, and you will compensate us. Yeah, uh, like, please give us your product. We'll drink yeah, it on it's, air. It's actually mentioned, uh, yeah, in in the interview where yeah, one example is the the Isle of Man TT, whose official sponsor is Rival Monster, and how. Uh, how Story was able to get a sponsorship deal with one of the prominent teams for a fraction of the cost it would be to sponsor the whole event. Also, have you seen this man's beard? <laughs> yes. It is magnificent William Story, beard. William Story looks like a burned out metal guitarist who was like <laughs> big in the late 80s, early 90s and is still touring Bless His Heart. Honestly. Oh boy. Or I, he looks like one of those really shuddy atheist YouTubers. Honestly, I I don't want him to own a Formula One team, but if he ends up owning Force India, it would be so interesting. That would be hilarious. <laughs> that's that's bound to be interesting. Can't wait to see how that turns out. But yeah, that's going to be interesting. Again, fingers crossed everything's all right with Force India in the end, in the long run. A couple other minor stories to get through. First up, Toro Rosso and McLaren are apparently in a tug of war over James Key here, folks. Um, As they should be, because James Key is uh, one of the best, uh, one of the best designers in Formula One. Yep. Uh, came over from Sauber after leading them to success. Uh, then joined Toro Rosso. Their their the, the integrity of their chassis has never been in question since James Key has come over there. Mm -hmm. And now McLaren have said that James Key is going to become their technical director. The only problem is that uh, Helmut Marko said that the that uh, McLaren went public with the news b before uh, 
the news went public before public confirmation from McLaren. So now Marco is going to be like, yeah, we're not letting this guy go. But Zach Brown's like, oh, yes, we are. We're getting this guy. Just you wait. Yeah, it's almost like Zach Brown doesn't own like a really big motorsport group or something where he can control the news that happens to leak out to his network. But that would be silly, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that would be so silly. Oh dear, that, that that is that is very silly. But yes, as RJ mentioned, James Key's one of the best in the biz at the moment. He's done a brilliant he's done brilliant work with Toro Rosso and um, up until now. And yeah, I could certainly tell McLaren are bending over backwards to try and get him. But McLaren also jumped the gun on this one. And as any guy will tell you in business, don't leak the news early. That's, that's rule people, number one. But people <laughs> just get excited when they think they've acquired the James Key to success. Oh. What is it with you people and puns? <laughs> All of you. God. <laughs> we forgot to mention that uh we forgot to mention that Trident have a new uh still very Italian sounding but less problematic driver on their Formula 2 roster when Alessio Lorandi got the call up from their GP3 team. Uh the other person in question has been shopping around offers in the IndyCar paddock. I don't Boo. know if that's going to pan out. Boo. Boo this man! Speaking of speaking of IndyCar, um, I was going back to a night race next next year. Nice. 2019, the Iowa Corn 300 uh, is going back to being a Saturday night race, which should really put a hopefully put a lot more people to the stands. If it races just as well as it did last year, uh, this past year, I should say, with the new Universal Air Kit, mm, that's gonna be good racing. It's gonna be a show. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. I'm uh, Look, yes. Looking forward to all of that. One more piece of IndyCar news before we get out of Dodge. Turns out Andretti wants to own half the field. <laughs> okay, okay, that isn't really news if you're an Andretti fan who's been watching IndyCar for more than three weeks. But uh, it turns out that Andretti and Harding Racing, uh, with the Brian Barnhard-led team over there, are considering a partnership where... Like, basically, Andretti could be running, you know, maybe two, maybe more cars under the Harding, basically under the Harding banner, King. It's it's, uh, it's another path to Andretti's plan for world domination, by the looks of it. Yeah, it, it's, I would say it's very similar to the deal they have with Brian Herta Autosport right now. They're, it's, it's an Andretti car, but it's run by, you know, the staff of Brian Herta Autosport. Yeah, and this one would actually make sense when we talk about it in connection to a previous uh, previous speculation we talked about the show that the 88 car of Harlan Harding Racing is kind of be going to be a uh, be, be a gong show sort of deal because uh, we know Connor Daly has driven the last two rounds for them. As it turns out, there are three other drivers from any lights who might get, and we say might because nothing has been confirmed, but one of them is getting a test at uh, Portland, and that is Colton Herta. Uh, the other two names that have been linked to the team through the end of the season are Patricio Ward, who swept the Indy Lights at Mid-Ohio this past weekend, and Santiago Rutia, who is a former championship runner-up in Indy Lights. A lot of hype. A lot of, a lot of young talent they've got in their team that, you know, man, there probably isn't enough seats to go around unless Andretti sips some people some checks, I guess, right? <laughs> you know? But... Yeah. But uh, yeah, looking for, again like like Harding, you know they're still shopping one of their seats around now for the end of the year, trying to find the you know, the ideal partner for Gabby Chavez next next year. Connor Daly's not done a, not done a bad job there by all accounts. So yeah, keep an eye on that going forward as yeah. well. Yeah, should though I should mention that Andretti has confirmed this, not Harding Racing, in a statement to Racer Magazine. Uh-huh. Uh, basically, uh, Brian Barnhart had said that. 
Harding ha- are like no talks with Andretti right now, despite Andretti saying otherwise. They acknowledge that Colton Herta has a contract with Andretti, and quote, we've always viewed what Michael Andretti has done with the Mazda Road to Indy teams all the way down to the, the, F- the USF 2000 series as a model of how an IndyCar team should support young drivers. The next logical step is for Colton to test, and we're happy to, to provide that... <laughs> that opportunity to him that's all it is at the moment we're fully aware that colton's under contract to andretti so we're thankful to go test with him and do another driver evaluation and hope to learn more as we improve hard in racing yeah i i don't know i I would also take in serious consideration but on that other guy in the andretti indy lights team you know the one that's uh that has seven wins and is leading colton hurt in the championship yeesh and just swept the mid-Ohio weekend and is probably going to win the title going away with three races to mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. That Steinbrenner money, though. <laughs> that Steinbrenner money is nice money, you know? But Pat Award's so None of it can be so Judge's good. hand. <laughs> oh, God, no. he's, he's, he's super good. <laughs> that man can drive. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah... Pat Award, he's basically he's he's basically has the championship in hand. Looking good for him. Looking good for Colton Herter too. More on that later in the season. And that, I believe, will just about do it for this week on Motorsport 101. Places you can find us one more time before we get out of here. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles are at Harrison101HD. RJ O'Connell for RJ and Ryan Eric King for Ryan, of course. Um, And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to both of this show and Bike Live. Episode 71 will be out this weekend. A full review of the Suzuka 8 Hours. As, yeah, the Yamaha factory racing team took it for the fourth consecutive year. Uh, the brilliant team was all led by World Superbike stars Alex, Lo- Alex Lowe's and Michael Vandermark. Did it again. A fantastic performance from the 21 team. And we'll find out what happens to the so- so-called Kawasaki Dream Team of... Uh, <laughs> of, of Leon Haslam and Jonathan Ray as Jonathan Ray actually turned out to be quite fuming. and I'll tell you how and why this weekend but uh, a very fun time indeed as well big shout outs as well to the Red Bull Honda team and Takanakagami the MotoGP star for coming in second as well great great day for the Red Bull Honda team as well and uh, yeah a lot of stories up and down through the field it's, yeah, it's a, a great great race a great spectacle I have to do this race one day as a bucket list event because it was beautiful it was my first time watching um, the end of uh, the end of Suzuka and seeing it at night and you know the glow sticks in the stands and you know the lights being on it was wonderful to watch it was it was beautiful um, if you have not seen it check it out if you haven't already it was a very fun race indeed um, and yeah the Yamaha factory team are a hell of a unit I have to say um, brilliant job congratulations to them um, we'll be back me and Lewis for all of that later this weekend. But uh, in the meantime, I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell, and until next week, catch you then. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Woo-hoo! Like I'm not for you. You are the world champion.
I've only just come up with a sudden realization that uh, we have nothing to talk about next week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've got a. Uh, I mean, yeah, we got uh, we got a big Super GT race. We've got we've got IMSIT Road America. We've got NASCAR Watkins Glen. I don't know. Uh, with with this little racing, it's uh, it's really killing the mood of past. <laughs> <laughs> ah!